0: You're listening to tech Nest, the PropTech podcast. In each episode, you'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. Discover market opportunities, interesting data, growth tactics, and trends driving the industry forward. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. And now your host, Nate Smoyer.
1: Hey, Josh. Welcome to the show.
2: Hey, Nate. Great. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: I'm excited to have you here, and this is our second attempt because we are having every single audio issue that... We've ever had, so I'm hoping that we'll get through this episode here. Um, I'm I'm bullish. We'll get through this here. I think we can we can accomplish this. Uh, For everyone else, I've got Josh Ernst. He's the CEO of a company called Backflip. Backflip is a prop tech fintech company providing loans to real estate investors. It's probably an oversimplified description, but we'll start there if that's okay, Josh. Yeah, sounds great. So uh, I want to jump right into it. Let's get into the meat and potatoes here. And we'll open up um, because just providing loans to real estate investors is a pretty simple business these days. I think being a a brokerage for loans, you know, they they pop up and it doesn't take a ton of tech necessarily. So I want to know from your perspective what has been the most challenging part about innovating in the lending space, and specifically when it comes to working with real estate investors.
2: Yeah, um, good question, Nate. So. Stepping back a little bit, I'm going to start with our mission before we jump into the meat and potato of the loans, how we you know, originate these loans and who we work with on the real estate investment side. Our business is all about empowering real estate entrepreneurs to revitalize homes. And that means we do a lot of things to support this ecosystem. We provide technology, we provide data, we provide insights. We hopefully are de-risking folks and giving them education and learnings in a community to help them throughout their journey. And we also happen to provide capital and that's where the loans come in. And so to jump into your question about what we're doing on the innovation side of loans, what's the hardest part of innovating in the loan space? From a first principles standpoint, we thought, what would we want to do if we wanted to serve this audience? If we wanted to understand our customer, we wanted to understand their pain points and their needs. And then we worked from the demand side, in our case, the customer, and then started working about the the capital partners that we work with, the institutional partners, retail capital providers. So we worked effectively backwards relative to the lending industry at large. Mm. Now, the way I just described it as a first principles approach for technology businesses, you always start with the customer, you understand what their pain points are, and then you go about hopefully solving those pain points, especially if you have the right to win. But Mm -hmm. most lenders, and this is, you know, part of what we're super excited about with Backflip, most lenders do not think that way. They think about risk. They think about the capital partners that they work with. They think about the capital itself as their client. And then they work from the supply side, in this case, capital, and try to go out and originate loans with whomever and uh, whatever type of asset makes sense for that capital. We took a very uh, user-centric tech-first, first principles approach. And that's quite frankly, set us apart from day one. And we're very different in how we operate. We're very different from a company standpoint, from a brand standpoint. Our team is very different, and our loan products are very different. Having said that, it's still a lending business for the most part, we do loan originations. And so we do want to make sure that we have access to sufficient capital, the right type of capital, hopefully the lowest cost of capital, institutional capital providers, retail capital providers, a diversified pool of capital that can scale and really support our customers because it it only works so long as we get both sides of that marketplace working and humming.
1: I love it. You you went so much deeper with that. I and that kind of answers one of my questions when I was thinking about, you know, I was looking at uh, through the site and kind of digging around is you don't really lead with backflip as a lender. Like I don't I don't see that as like the summary there, and and I'm hearing from you, there's really a, a totally holistic approach to what are the problems our customers are facing. Where can we be best at helping solve those problems? And, and I appreciate that. To to get a little technical here, what are the types of loans that you're you're putting together though for real estate investors? Because that could mean a whole host of different things. Of course, the type of property, how long the the loan terms are, etc.
2: Absolutely. So. Great question. So there are a host of different loan products, stepping back loan products that don't even just serve real estate, but asset backed lending products that serve the real estate industry, some that are conventional and serve a retail audience, a consumer, those typically look like conventional mortgages, there's a number of types of conventional mortgages we don't serve that audience today. Mm -hmm. Um, We only serve real estate investors. So one of the declarations um, in order to get one of our loans that folks must make is that they do not plan to occupy the property. So we are categorically not serving owner-occupied residents today. On the real estate investment side, there are a number of different types of loan products that can be delivered to this audience. The primary two categories can be short-term loans and long term loans. Now, both of those have different, different sub products and subcategories. We mm-hmm. are t- today mostly focused on the short term loan products. And I'll dive into what we serve specifically. On the long term loan products, the main kind of asset backed lend, uh, lending op- uh, loan that you could generate is a, what's called a DSCR loan. And we know that space very well, but it's not something that we're focused on today. What we are focused on is starting with fix and flip loans. That's the kind of generally accepted term for this mm-hmm. loan product. In the In the institutional industry, it's called the RTL loan or residential transition loan. And the way it works is that we provide loan capital for someone to acquire a property, again, an investment property that they're not going to live in, and then to also rehab that property. So we mm-hmm. focus on the value add segment of residential real estate investing. And so our loans are purpose built for folks to buy an asset, acquire and then the construction loan to rehab that loan, to rehab that property, excuse me. And again, short term, average duration is six months. The loan term is 12 months and it, it can be extended thereafter. But we sit in that that segment of the market.
1: Now, you guys just went and did a, a pretty large expansion earlier this year, right? You're in 40 some, 41 states or is that?
2: Correct, correct. Um, so... This business, and it again goes steps back to we're a much bigger business than just a loan origination business. We started, mm-hmm. you know, very much with a, a product-led growth strategy and a tech-first principle. Um, we think that um, that's really contributed pretty meaningfully to our growth. We started just to step back and give some history on the business. We started, um, you know, with two co-founders in late 2020. Um, that was us, you know, figuring out what we wanted to do, spent a lot of time interviewing hundreds and hundreds of different potential customers of all profiles. What are your pain points? What are your needs? What did we feel like maybe we might have a right to win? Mm -hmm. We started to hone in on this category, this audience, different ways that we could serve them different products. And ultimately we got to a place where we were confident enough to start hiring and build a beta. That was throughout the 2021 timeframe. And so we started the business with a What a, a year data. to
1: really dive in and start fantastic. hiring.
2: Fantastic, right? And then <laughs> listen to this, Nate. It gets even better. So beta is <laughs> going super well. Beta is going extremely well. Great feedback. Early customer demand was fantastic. We're growing. We're learning. But again, private, waitlist only, very hard to access. We didn't have a real... Mm-hmm. We kept... We were over flooded with demand, quite frankly, even from the early days. We didn't really mm-hmm. have the ability to fully serve um, even the initial beta users. And so it continued to expand. It continued to expand. We continued to evolve the business, hired more, raised up a pretty meaningful seed round from a, a couple of very awesome VC investors. And that helped us to continue to spur growth. We launched publicly with an iPhone app uh, and we recently la- launched Android, but we launched with an iPhone app in summer of 2022 and it was uh june of 2022 and talk about timing the fed you know had already started a little bit but really accelerated their hikes uh you know june july august september october i mean this is the fastest velocity rate, rate uh hike that we've ever seen right so we launched publicly perfect time right um mm-hmm. and, needless to say um We did have a significant groundswell of beachhead beta users, and then we've uh, focused on growing the community. We started very much a community-led activation here in the DF. I'm in Dallas, Texas, so here in the DFW region, Um, and that was the initial core geo market that we wanted to serve. What is amazing about this audience, this customer base, and the way we built our business is Mm -hmm. these people generally like to talk to each other. They like to share. They like to help each other. There's a team component to it. There are various nodes, you know, in the ecosystem that definitely are, are, are more likely to pass along great, you know, technology, products, offerings that that are working well for them. And then our customers don't only necessarily work in a single market as well. So folks in Texas will do deals in Colorado. They also happen to do deals in Florida pretty frequently. Colorado mm-hmm. folks happen to like both Colorado, although the price point's pretty high. So they also like to do deals in Ohio, Cincy or, or Cleveland, right? And then outside of mm-hmm. Chicago. So our customers pulled us into a number of other states. We quickly grew from just trying to build a business in one geo and really hone that in to originating loans and serving customers in over 20 states. And at mm-hmm. this point, as you mentioned, we're now able to to grow the business and we're in 41 states.
1: Wow, so much yeah, to unpack fun, in there. It's
2: been a, it's been a fun two years, uh, year year with the Fed, especially.
1: It's very rare that I have um, a, a founder and CEO mention product led growth. It's something that I've zeroed in on as a marketer uh, in in a few different examples, and, and mostly because, especially if you're in a business where you don't have a sales staff. PLG is not really optional anymore. It's it's really an effective way of you know, I I I have an approach I call create audience, we capture audience, cultivate audience, and it it plays into you know how we you do product led growth. Now the loan business historically has been it's a sales business, right? You you bring in agents or, or, or brokers right? They build their pipeline, you first work your family, friends, your personal network, right? You create a bigger pockets profile, and you're told go in there, post a bunch of stuff and find investors to work with. But you're taking lending and, and, and leading it with a PLG approach. Does that mean there's not a sales staff and everything is totally automated through the app? Or do you still have somewhat of a hybrid where, you know, you can get most of that application kind of done and get through all the, some of the, the, the early weeds, and then you work with a, an agent, you know, to close or to you know, proceed from there.
2: Yeah. Um, great question, Hayden. I'm glad you, you understand and know product led growth. Um, most founders is you, to your point, most founders in prop tech don't, <laughs> nor do they, nor do they have the right, uh, you know, product offering or customer base where it makes sense mm. to do product led growth. Um, mm-hmm. One thing that is, uh, really, really fantastic about our business and was very intentional. Our customers, by and large, are high frequency, high repeat, high transaction users. We're targeting mm-hmm. folks who um, today our ideal customer persona. They want to do three, five transactions a year. Many of them want to do many more than that. They want to do five, 10, 15 transactions a year. Now, we don't serve regional funds. We don't serve institutions. We're not in the business of trying to make super large Wall Street folks wealthier. But what we are trying to do is we're trying to allow all those individual investors, all those folks who maybe have a two-person partnership, maybe husband-wife partnership, or, or maybe one person who knows the real estate market really well and is a real estate agent. And the other person who maybe knows a little bit about project management and getting jobs done, we're allowing them to have the access to tools, tech, software, and capital that the institutional players do have, right? The Wall Mm -hmm. Street competitors have this type of stack and we're building it for everyone else. And Mm so going back to the product-led growth point, one of the things, and we haven't really touched on it yet today, but one of the things is we knew that our users really, really, really want to scale a number of parts of their user journey. They really want to get better, not just at understanding what, lending capital supply source they have and what partner they have for lending, but they really want to get more efficient. They want things to be easier. They want to save time in almost every area of their business. And so from day one, and even before we had a lending product, we were building technology and tools to allow people to be more efficient to analyze which assets they might want to buy. And so one of the main features of the product um, today that's available for, for any member on Backflip and it's, it's free, by the way, to use, to use this part of the, the, the product That's, that's your
1: product-led growth.
2: It's product-led growth, is to yep. allow folks to go in there and analyze any and every potential investment opportunity that's hitting their, hitting their inbox, on-market, mm-hmm. off-market, mostly off-market, as you can probably imagine. We tell mm-hmm. them instantly a lot of the information that maybe they could gather if they went mm-hmm. to you know, the search sites, Zillow, Realtor, you name it, Maybe they could do the analysis if they have, are sitting at home on their desktop and they have Excel open. Um, and made, But the way that we think about it is most of the best real estate entrepreneurs and investors, even if they're only going to do one deal a year, they would love to look at 100 or 1,000 or several different potential prospective lead properties and then mm-hmm. understand what's the one that fits their buy box perfectly. And that they want to spend time and energy on. Well, looking at a hundred transactions, looking at a hundred or a thousand transactions, especially if you want to look at them with multiple strategies, do you mm-hmm. want to hold it long term? Do you just want to flip it and sell it? And that's yeah. your whole strategy? Or do you want to Airbnb it? That takes a lot of time, it takes a mm-hmm. lot of data, it takes a lot of energy, it takes a lot of effort. All those tabs that people typically would have open on their browser. We think about mm-hmm. building things that can allow them to close or eliminate one of those tabs. And so from day one, we built something that can be super engaged and engaging mm-hmm. can save people a ton of time and can make them quite frankly better investors lower their risk profile that product is growing like crazy that product is fun that pro- which is unique in the industry most folks don't you know have something that's that's fun right this is zillow but if you wanted to make money that's how we think about the backflip app And Mm. so what's so amazing is as people are engaging with properties, underwriting those deals, underwriting those assets, and talking to their friends about, hey, I found this great way to comp assets or I found this great way to potentially move forward on deals. We're helping to underwrite those assets too. And we're also simultaneously gathering more data to figure out whether or not we can give them a loan Mm. and personalize that experience for them. So we didn't get into the loan products in too much detail yet. But what we've done, which is really cool, really unique, is we have all this super rich data, and it helps to inform what type of loan products we want to offer and to whom. And so we can give right product, right message, right time, and the whole product feels magical. These users, for the most part, right, are not used to any type of personal type of experience like this. And mm-hmm. by the way, to add to all of this, we've also invested pretty heavily in community, one of the big things that you know users need and, and they don't necessarily have always is the right team around them. And so Backflip is supporting folks with a lot of the technology, the data, the tools that make them more efficient, save them time, the capital, obviously, that's better, substantially better than anything they'd otherwise get. And we can deliver community on top of it all. And so that recipe, those kind of pillars, those three pillars, product and technology driven conversion. Product personalized loan products that are that are purpose built for this audience and community has has been you know a, a great recipe to drive growth.
1: So succinct, uh, and I love the approach. I'm actually really taken back by the amount of focus on mobile. You know, hmm. I, I mean, I'm an, I'm an adopter of tech products, and I, I love seeing you know transformation hit any industry. How are you even convinced going app? Was was even possible to be successful? Because I'm, I'm be honest with you, like if you had told me this idea in 2020, I'd be like, "Neat, neat idea," but I don't know about that. Like, no one's gonna use an app to get to be shopping for loans and underwriting deals. I think real estate investors are still gonna be largely old school. Like, what was the convincing point to hey, this is the way to go?
2: That's a great, <laughs> fantastic question, Nate. Uh, very intuitive and and something that quite frankly, I felt very strongly on and about, and I had some really good proof points and some interesting data to help validate my assumptions, but it wasn't the easiest decision at all. Um, We had, you know, some very heated internal conversations, debates um, about this. One of the team, we have an amazing team, fantastic team. And that's part of what makes the business work. Mm. Um, We have, been able, I'm humbled and and proud of our team, but we've been able to find and add just fantastic people, and 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 these people have, you know, it the bar continues to raise. Our our standards on our own team continues to get better and better. One of the folks that we've added is is a woman named Leslie and um, Leslie Jordan, and she joined Backflip. She's our chief product officer, Leslie. Before she was the chief product officer at Backflip, she was the chief product officer at Realtor at Realtor.com.
1: Uh, mm-hmm.
2: So you've probably heard of, right?
1: Very major platform. I think we were Millions of people. We, yeah, of we, might of people. Have been in, uh, we might have been at Realtor at the same time because, you know, my. The, uh, I was at Avail. We were acquired by right, Realtor.
2: Avail, so she, her business was called OpCity. That was also acquired yep. by... You probably mm-hmm. were very familiar with acquisitions mm-hmm. around the same time. And Realtor, you know, that's a conversation for another day. Um, but, you know, even today... We're constantly trying to ask ourselves, what is the right platform? What is the right medium for any and everything that we do, including, Mm -hmm. you know, the messaging, right? That we use the communication, the community that we drive. Some of that's online. Some of that's offline. The app itself going back to your original question, the app itself. I knew that we were onto something because. I started to spend again, going back to the customer interviews, we started to spend so so much time with customers and understand what they used their apps for. Both their desktop apps and their mobile apps. And Uh. you start to see more and more and this is this takes a unique lens. You have to be very thoughtful, very observational, and you have to you would probably be very good at this because you ask really good questions and you're a good interviewer. But you have to be able to allow people to open up and get them comfortable showing them, showing you their screen, right? Their Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this is A lot of their life. Um, And when you start to see again and again, not just the Facebook, Instagram, social apps, but you start to see apps like a Robinhood, like a Mint.com to manage their personal finances, you know, their banking accounts are typically now managed through these apps, uh, by Mm -hmm. and large, you start to get a sense that people have gotten much more comfortable with doing a lot of things on apps that they maybe otherwise wouldn't have. And mm-hmm. it's important to note our customer base. This may surprise you. I don't know. It may not. Our customer base is younger. I mean, it's by and large a new generation of real estate entrepreneurs. It's our average. It average makes 30, sense. 39. It's 39. So it's not, you know, we have a lot of folks though, that are incredibly impressive heroes. I can't, mm-hmm. put, I'm so proud that we get to support them and they're in their twenties and they're already buying, you know, multiple transactions wow. a year, multiple properties. And, and, building an amazing legacy type business for themselves and their families. But again, this is a new wave uh, of of customer and consumer. It's a digital native. And when we can deliver right data, right user experience, right UI, it's harder. It's much harder, right? To have mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. design for a small screen. But if you can give them that information in real time and they can do it 24 seven, because they do want to be in the field. They do want to be walking properties constantly, they do want to be spending time with their local real estate agents or their other team members. And so if you can give mm-hmm. them that real-time data and real-time information, it's magic. Mm-hmm.
1: I think it's so cool. I mean, the, 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 there's a lesson in there that I'm hearing. Uh, and, and one of those things is, you know, defining who your audience is and really just catering to that with a product that meets that specific audience. And it's one thing to say like, okay, we're going to target uh, investors who are doing fix and flips and that's fine, but that's really not all that specific. And, you know, in getting a little bit more detailed of like, okay, we're going to target fix and flip investors, but those who are looking for an edge, you know, there's there's plenty of people who don't use any technology to run their businesses and they still run it on paper and pencil. They might have a fax number still, and and that's fine, but you're going to have to change their behavior. You're going to have to tell them what they're doing is totally wrong. They're going to have to show, you know, show them a whole new way. And you're talking about, hey, people are already investing in mobile apps, banking through mobile apps why wouldn't they run their business in the same context? It just seems to, to make sense. So the, 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 the likelihood that they skew younger doesn't totally surprise me. There was something that um, I wanted to ask you about because this was something that your team had passed along to me to, 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 that I could learn a little more about the, the customer base is that a, a very high percentage, I would think, of loans that you guys uh, uh, distribute or issue... Are going to bipoc borrowers and mm-hmm. I was curious if you could shed some light and we have ne- I've never gone into topics like this on the show and it's not because I avoid them it just doesn't always come up first off like is was that an intentional thing is there like a a cultural angle here or is this just by by chance like how does that even come about
2: yeah um great great question and I'm glad you asked and brought that up because it's something that we are quite proud of here at Backflip. And it's something that feels different. Again, going back to one of our kind of founding principles, we do things very differently as a business and as a company. It's something that our capital partners also can can really wrap their arms around and be proud of. Um, mm. And as you know, like lending does have biases generally. There are a lot of articles about it. There's a lot of... It has
1: for decades. It's unfortunate. more than a century. Yeah, it's unfortunate.
2: And to access this beautiful asset, which we all love, real estate, right? Mm -hmm. The asset that, again, stepping back, 90% of all millionaires, I think it was Andrew Carnegie who had this quote 90% of all millionaires made their money in real estate, right? It's one of those transformational asset types. And often capital can be the unlock, right? And access Mm -hmm. to capital being the, the big barrier there. And when we think about the types of loans that we originate and the audience that we serve, we do again, going back to our loan product type it 's called the residential transition loan, so what we are trying to do is we are trying to understand is this asset fundable, is this business plan fundable first and second, and then is this person fundable that's important of course that's part of our underwriting criteria but mm-hmm. that's that is third right and they 're all pretty close together, but most typical lenders. They want to understand what's your W-2, what's your income stream, if you lose your job, are you still going to be able to cover this loan, this mortgage, our interest payment, what's our coverage ratio on this? And our product, for a number of reasons, doesn't necessarily align with needing the borrower, the individual, to have a steady stream of income that is consistent and W-2-able. And so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we obviously want our investor, our, our borrowers to have liquidity and our average FICO is well north of 700. And these are fantastic borrowers, but they're highly diverse. They have down payment capital, but they might not otherwise have access to lending. And so at this point, we just did a report, a study on, on backflips loans. Over 50%, 53% of our loans went to BIPOC uh, borrowers, which is something mm-hmm. that is just by and large it's just standout for the industry and for lending and we're really well, i don't know what the i don't know
1: what the benchmarks are but i'm assuming it's much lower
2: much lower much lower the benchmarks in the 20s um and oh, okay yeah yeah and the the reality is again going back to real estate is a true wealth creator and it's been so mm-hmm. for generations there are you know miley cyrus and Adam Levine and a bunch of celebrity flippers who have a lot of cash and that's what they like to do with their money. They invest in real estate and they invest in cash and that's cool. We want them to do cool deals too and invest in, you know, whatever flips they want to invest in. But there are a lot of folks who might not have otherwise access to ways to generate wealth and we want to help support that group. And so that's something that we're really proud of and, and something that uh we, it wasn't exactly intentional, but we're very strong in the community. We're very thoughtful about our approach, and when and thankfully, people seem to really, really appreciate what we're doing with Backflip, referring other new members. It's very much word of mouth growth, as we talked about earlier, and so mm-hmm. it, it continues to spiral. It's it's really, really fascinating.
1: That's awesome. I I, I want to shift a little bit and talk because uh, you talked about we we do things differently. You've mentioned your team. And, um, you know, one of the things that, you know, we, we we discussed a little bit in the pre-show was kind of like the structure of the company. I mean, you guys have been a, a fully remote company and, you know, there's, there's plenty of debate. A lot. We see some of the some some leading tech companies say, hey, you know, it's time to go back to the office. Zoom, Zoom is making people go back to the office. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie, I had a really good chuckle at readings. There was a, it was just the headline. I didn't read the article, so I'm probably just buying into the clickbait. But, you know, you guys are fully remote distributed. So kind of two questions here. One, was that a pandemic-driven decision uh, or was that, you know, prior to? And then two, what have you done to really help Drive the success because you guys have had significant growth beyond, you know, a little bit above. I would say beyond venture level growth. So you're exceeding venture level uh, expectations for growth, uh, and clearly innovating in a space that typically is very difficult to innovate in with uh, because it's highly regulatory. You have Old ways of doing things, getting people to adopt a new way in real estate—any sort of transformation is difficult. So, so break break that down a little bit. What was why you guys are structured the way you are?
2: That's yeah, that's a a great question. I think it creates one of our one of our several. We have several, but one of our competitive advantages. And we did this from day one, and we were super intentional, incredibly intentional about what we did as it relates to our team and our remote first culture. And one of the things I remember. I wrote our core values as a business before we hired a single employee. Now we don't have a wall yeah. because we don't have an office. So we don't have, you know, words on a wall somewhere. And yet our stack, which includes a lot of different technology, a lot of different tools, is constantly littered with our core values, which is pretty cool and I think relatively unique to others. One of the things that we realized early on as we were scaling the team, because we grew really we've grown really quickly uh, from mm-hmm. a team standpoint. We pretty much Uh, tripled the team a a couple of times here over um, within a 12-month span, a couple of times. Um, And each time you have to rethink things. Mm -hmm. And we also knew there wasn't necessarily a playbook for remote. And so we thought about it from first principles. We started as a business organized around divisions, classic, typical. We had a finance division. We had a marketing division. We had a product and engineering division. We rethought that we mm-hmm. now organize the whole company around uh, teams. Those teams are driven by objectives. So why do we want to do something? What are we trying to do? What's the important objective? Start with the company level, work our way to teams. If it warrants a team, we can create teams or dissolve mm-hmm. teams. So this is a resource allocation decisioning mechanism um, that's worked extremely well. Folks can be on members of multiple teams. So there's a primary, non-primary component to all this. Hmm. And then to make sure that it doesn't get too pedantic, too with, with Zoom culture and remote culture, it's very easy to just get into work mode constantly, which we, we're very busy. So we, we tend to also work a lot. It was important to us to enable cross-collaboration and team mm-hmm. collaboration. So we overlaid our unique, uh, unique approach that we call pods. And this Mm -hmm. whole concept, Mm -hmm. this whole concept, we, we call this whole concept leading from everywhere. And leading from everywhere is designed with teams and pods in mind. And pods, we think of a little bit like our own neural net. It's an opportunity for a few individuals, otherwise would not be organized, not be meeting, to have either structured or unstructured opportunities to bump elbows, water cooler talk, so to speak. It can be social. It's often a combination of social and business. And Mm -hmm. it it tends to work exceptionally well for us. And this kind of internal operating system overlaid with really strong and intentional culture, key, you know, driven by the mission, the core values, a heavy documentation culture. It works for different personality types. We certainly have very extroverted people who are extremely happy. We also have incredibly introverted, heads down people who are also quite pleased with our our structure. Mm -hmm. And again, because we built this in a way that's conducive for people from joining from everywhere and anywhere, we can hire the best talent for the role. So we do have folks from California to New York, from Miami to Washington state. And I'm here in Texas and, you know, across all four time zones, of course, and -hmm, we have mm -hmm. subject matter experts in whatever their domain is. And folks just seem to really appreciate how we're going about it. And it shows in our numbers, zero employee churn, um, you know we've had uh well wow. uh, you know significant growth as a business so it's it's all working and I, I think it's one of the main contributors it's it's hard to describe but it's one of the main contributors i think to the company's success
1: very cool yeah super and and it's it, it's a very clear uh uh idea of how to do remote i've i've both went from the outside and the inside experience remote in ambiguous terms and expectations and uh what it generally creates is a little bit of chaos uh confusion of like, well, they're not online and they should be online says who and according to what and then you know it's a it's a little bit challenging to to operate that, especially if you're spanning multiple time zones and how do you get that collaboration together. but it sounds like what you've you guys have done is the structure of actual teams and that the use of pods kind of helps facilitate that collaboration so. We're not just stuck either playing catch-up on Slack messages or, you know, really awkward times of day uh, uh, video calls, which no one really enjoys. Um, I did one this morning at six 6.30, but it's just – that's just me. That's just the way I do it. So, uh, well, I'm going to shift here, Josh. I want to jump into my favorite segment of the show I like to call For the Future for the future is when I get to ask each guest who comes on the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions huh. are you ready to play? Yeah, that sounds fun. let's do it. all right, Question number one what does backlip backflip look like one year from now
2: Ooh, what do we look like one year from now? Well, the growth has been pretty substantial over the prior twelve months, and based on the trajectory and velocity, I feel like it's continual growth certainly um how do we describe that growth? There's probably a number of different vectors that we could use, but uh, certainly mm-hmm. continue to get uh, much bigger as a company and team will continue to grow. Customer base will grow revenue, all of the things. Um, we also have a couple of really interesting and cool products um, that have been in the works and that we you know, are excited to launch some really interesting use cases for AI for our business that, Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, again, everything's purpose built, though. It's got to be understand what the customer needs and pain points are. And then if there is a applicable use case for a given technology, and we think well, there's a right to win, we can introduce mm-hmm. something. And uh, mm-hmm. very excited about that. Very excited about the roadmap. Um, so hopefully those will come online. We'll probably continue to staff out and build the C-suite uh, or executive team in a way that uh, sets us up for... Uh, to really take advantage of this first mover that we have and hopefully own the vertical.
1: Yeah. I, I, um, I, I like that you mentioned, uh, be intentional about AI. Uh, I, I have every once in a while, I, I, I I throw a little shade at anyone using AI because it just seems like a, it's a marketing thing, but at the same time I use AI for the podcast. So we're also, uh, I, I'm just an AI business. (laughs) (laughs) You I know, thought I saw I, a person on the
2: other side of this video, but maybe not.
1: <laughs> you know what I did was I—I'll I, just share this because I—I want to share how simple it is to say you're using AI, uh, and for for it, it, to 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 add to this, but I get a I get a fair amount of requests to come on the show, and hmm. um, you know I, I I don't live in my email inbox. Uh, I took advice from a mentor years ago that inbound email unless it's your objective, it's your prerogative, like it doesn't get your primary. So for me, you know, it's no offense. It's just, you're not my, you're not my priority. So I'll get there when I get there. I was like, I got to get, I got a better experience. So what I've done is I went the most complicated way of responding to all of the inquiries for my podcast. So they fill out the form on my website, which then triggers a zap, which then goes into uh, chat GPT And then it has a prompt that writes an email using the form fields from Airtable, which then goes back to Gmail and it writes the email and puts in the signature. And so the email is very specific to that person and to request. And then to confirm I've received it and I'll be in touch when I can. That's, that's my use of AI.
2: That's brilliant. And think about this. I always thought email, you obviously think of it as the same way. Email is someone else putting something on your to-do list. Yes. Which is just one of the uh, most frustrating things in the world. right? Just you make it a good know, thing. Yeah. If I have, I mean, when it was mail, right, back when it used to actually take some effort to mm-hmm. get someone to communicate with you, you could curate, no, the expectation wasn't that you would respond immediately, obviously, mm-hmm. and you could curate much more simply which of the communications and correspondence you wanted to respond to and the timeliness with that response and the thoughtfulness email obviously has, uh, changed that dynamic. And so I think your approach is, is, is brilliant and very, yeah. purpose, very purposeful. So, kudos. I wouldn't
1: be brilliant, but one thing I did though, and, and then we'll keep going is I also, it archives every, um, one of those emails in a Google drive. So I don't, I mean, I, yes, it's in my sent folder, but now I have, um, new variations of all these emails back. So right. And there's ways I was like thinking about like, how could I actually refine messaging by auto writing all those emails in ways that I probably wouldn't think of as I'm doing that. So if I was an SDR, I might use this for my inquiries to like generate a whole bunch of different responses. And then I can start figuring out what I'm getting responses on, you know, that sort of thing. But that's a whole different, That's a whole different discussion for a different day. You
2: have a robust data set already you're building,
1: so... We're getting there. (laughs) We're getting there, yeah. All right, question number two for the future. What will some of the longer-term effects, and I'm thinking like 10 years or so, end up being um, as a result of the the current lending environment?
2: Ooh, good question. Um, Depends on who you ask. I have an opinion on this, and I probably shouldn't share it, but I will. I don't think that the interest rate environment is gonna change much from where it's at for a number of years, actually. I don't expect, and everyone is hoping and anticipating maybe the Fed will drop interest rates back to near zero again relatively soon. I don't expect that to occur. Mm-hmm. Um for a number of reasons. I think this is actually more the norm and more of a normalized situation and circumstance historically, um, than certainly than the near zero interest rates that we operated with for the prior decade or so um, mm-hmm. so what does that mean well people eventually evolve there is a short-term memory on three percent mortgage rates or sub three percent mortgage rates i believe people do need to live somewhere there's something valuable in milo's hierarchy of needs housing is at the base layer for a reason right and yep. as families age evolve you need more space or you just simply get bored right if your current living environment people will move So the transaction flow will, I think, still will will unlock and will go back to five, six million transactions a year, probably by 2025, if I had to guess, uh, regardless of kind of interest rates. And so what does all this mean for 10 years from now? To be honest, I'm not sure that the interest rate environment is a true major factor or consideration in what 10 years from now looks like relative to today. 10 years is a long time. Um it feels like ago, a long time these days. 10 years ago we didn't even have we barely had iPhones, right? The first <laughs> Gen 1 iPhone was released. That's and a so very there, good point. There are a number of quite interesting whether it's technology, geopolitical, regulatory, potential changes or unlocks that could occur over a 10-year frame time frame mm-hmm. that would definitely dramatically create step function changes in in real estate and in housing specifically. Uh, much more so, I think, than the current
1: interest rate of life. All right. Next one here. What's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away?
2: Um, good question. will continue, but I wish would go away. I do think, and this is... Both an industry trend and a capital trend, and I'm in the capital markets a lot, so i'm, mm-hmm. I'm constantly interacting with various capital investors, equity debt, you name it. Um, I do think that venture capital as an industry, well, and this has definitely been true for the last twelve months, especially since things have slowed down, transaction flow and volume have slowed down mm-hmm. they've They've started to paint prop tech as an industry with a single paintbrush, everyone views it under a solo lens, which is simply not true. That's not true for PropTech, certainly. It's not true of any sector, any industry, right? PropTech is
1: so undefined still.
2: It's insane, right? Everything from (laughs) uh, B2C retail consumer play, where you're serving an audience that does only transact every five to 10 years, historically on average. Mm -hmm. And, And there are ways that you can innovate and obviously create fantastic businesses in that sector, B2B businesses that serve, you know, large institutional players with new buying decision makers, you know, the VP level and up is is definitely turning over. And so there's definitely an interesting prop tech angle to that evolution. Uh, We don't sit necessarily in either of those specific categories. We have this very much B2B audience segment, SMB audience segment, high frequency, high repeat, high retention. You can model our business with very much SaaS-like modeling methodologies. But it's very easy for VCs to just categorically say, well, it's prop tech," and <laughs> my, you know, Gen One prop tech investments didn't go so well. I'm not so sure that you know I want to take the time to understand any v- nuanced versions of, of what's happening in the modern day prop tech industry. Um, so that would probably be my answer.
1: All right. Last one here on For the Future, what's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances?
2: I'm going to stick to capital. Um, As you are probably very well aware, the audience is very well aware, there is this institutionalization of real estate and real estate ownership, ownership specifically in residential. Uh, that's been going on for quite some time. And SFR REITs are buying inequities. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not changing, and it's only going to be precipitated by better and more technology, which, by the way, the institutions have access to and maybe the individuals have less access to. Backflip obviously is a counterweight to that. However, that is not going away. But what I want to actually speak to, which is really powerful, in our industry specifically, there are really, really interesting tailwinds with institutionalization. Morningstar, our our, our industry is is relatively relatively excuse me, relatively institutionalized, um, mm-hmm. and yet and there's securitizations and a number of uh, different ways that you can capitalize these transactions, um, and yet it has yet to be rated by the rating agencies. Um, so this is a mm-hmm. pretty typical. Thing that occurs in securitization specifically. However, Morningstar recently started doing some work and um, has a methodology to start rating this RTL security, um, which is our, our type of loan product. And that will further allow institutionalization and capital to flow into our loan product, which hopefully through Backflip and other providers, going back to what we were talking about earlier, actually does create an unlock for underserved individual investors, smaller customers. It's not just that SFR REITs are going to continue to buy homes and assets. That will happen, unfortunately, I think. Sure, that will continue right. to happen. But institutional capital can access, through platforms like Backflip, individual investors providing debt capital, providing loans, providing potentially even equity capital in the future. And to me, that's quite interesting, quite exciting. Um, that starts to level the playing field, which is really important because capital does uh, matter meaningfully so
1: sure all right josh we're going to move on to the final three here these are questions for our listeners to get to know you personally just a bit better first one what are you reading i see all those books on the shelf behind you
2: i i like i, I do like to read um, i'm a voracious reader i'm always reading like three or more books um <laughs> simultaneously Often fiction and nonfiction. Right now I'm reading a fascinating book. It's called The Duel. I don't usually read historical nonfiction, but this one is. It's called The Duel. It's a battle between... It's it, diving into the details in a three-month period this summer when both Winston Churchill, head of British, Britain, and Hitler were dueling. They didn't exactly call it a duel, but they were dueling sure. over whether or not Nazi Germany would potentially invade R- Great Britain. And effectively end the war or potentially if Hitler or if Churchill could convince him, Hitler, to move towards move east towards Russia and attack and invade Stalin's Russia, um, which ultimately prevailed and ended up being an unlock. So fascinating book. Not my typical book. John Lucas. Highly recommend that one. Um, hmm. I'm also I just finished uh, Invent and Wonder, which is a great compilation of Bezos writing. Jeff Bezos writing. It's all like internal writing. And then his memo is fantastic. Great business. Read and then fiction, I always love. I'm actually reading, um, I'm rereading um, a fanfic of Harry Potter. There's a Harry Potter fanfic called The Harry Potter Methods of Rationality. And it was, okay. written, by, it was written by this amazing AI expert. Um, I'm going to butcher his name, but Eli- Eliezer Udiaski, I think. It's, he's one of the preeminent AI experts in the world. And he was able to actually get the rights to write this book from uh, JK Rowling. And it's a very fascinating, fascinating huh. variant of Harry Potter. Um, highly recommend it for folks. And then, you know, I just love science fiction. Like I always read Heinlein books and love other great business books. Um, Setting the Table, Danny Myers' business book, it's fantastic for talking about uh, owning restaurants, being a
1: restaurant entrepreneur. Very cool. Uh, next one here, who are you learning from?
2: Ooh, I try to learn from everyone. I really do. I learn from our customers every day. It's amazing. They're heroes. I learn from our team. We have a core value um, at the company, Learn from Giants. And I think of Giants as any and everyone, quite frankly. Mm. Um, learned a few things from you, actually, on this podcast. It's pretty cool. Um, I like your AI email trick. And then... I mean, I do have a few mentors. I don't really call them mentors, but a few founders, you know, who've been there, done that, seen around corners. I tend to think that most advice you get is not that helpful. It's kind of like the generic stuff that you could find, you know, online anyway. But there mm-hmm. are, you know, a bunch of running a business is super hard and probably 90% of what we have to deal with as entrepreneurs is not at all published and there is no playbook and so for that 90 percent, which is very important that's a large chunk Mm -hmm. it's really Mm -hmm. helpful to have some folks um in orbit who you know trust me who i trust who can give me guidance and advice
1: i'm gonna butcher this quote but I, i heard a quote once and i believe it goes something like there's a giant asleep within each of us and when that giant awakens miracles happen uh beautiful. So you, you saying that giant piece I was like, oh, that makes me think of that quote. Um, all right, last one. What inspires you? Ooh, I'm going back to our customers.
2: I love I love helping people generally, but I really mm-hmm. love helping entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs are this special breed of individual who, you know, wake up every day wanting to be better, action-oriented doers, right? And that's what we're building with Backflip. We We support these real estate entrepreneurs in ways that they didn't even imagine was possible. One of our core values is raise the standards of what's possible, and and we get to do that every day. You know, Shopify supports e-commerce entrepreneurs. Robinhood supports day trading entrepreneurs. Backflip, in my mind, is the platform to support real estate entrepreneurs.
1: I love it. Josh. this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing so much about, not just about Backflip, but a, I think there's a lot of philosophy here in how to build teams, how to think about go to market and really just listening to the customer when bringing solutions to solving their, their problems. Before we close out, uh, for those who want to get in touch with you and or learn more about Backflip, where do they go? How do they do that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, thank you, Nate. This has been fun. Um, great questions. It's been been a joy talking to you. Um, you can find our business at dobackflip.com. You can also download the app now in the iPhone or Google Play Store on Android. It's uh, the Backflip real estate investing app. You do have to type in real estate investing app. Unfortunately, there are a lot of folks who've built little cool games to allow people to do backflips. Um, and so <laughs> we have to compete with them uh, for SEO, which is what it is. Uh, we like our name. We love our name, actually. Um, And so I'm glad that we stand apart, but we do have to compete with them. And then me personally, I uh, can be reached. uh, My personal email is josh at dobackflip.com. Josh at dobackflip.com.
1: Awesome. There it is. Josh, I hope to uh, get a chance to meet in person uh, sometime, sometime down the road. Until then, we'll see you later. Likewise. Thanks, Nate. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening to TechNest, the PropTech Podcast. Find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode on technest.io. You can get future episodes delivered to your ears directly by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other major podcast apps. Follow Technest on social media to stay up to speed on new developments, resources, and announcements in (laughs) PropTech. Your support is greatly appreciated. There's two ways you can directly support this podcast. Share episodes you find interesting and then leave a review of the show in the App Store. From Nate and the TechNest team, thanks for listening.